If you want to get to heaven, got a D.I.E. You gotta put on your coat and T.I.E. Wanna get the rabbit out the L.O.G. You gotta make a cold motion like a D.O.G. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. A little Waylon Jennings kicking things off for us on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. There is no place I'd rather be than talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. So if you want a heavy dose of outdoor talk, then you are in the right place, my friend. And I am so glad that you are because we've got a great show lined up for you. So you know what to do by now. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Pull that stool a little closer to the campfire here because we've got a lot to get into. Some very interesting stuff today. And we'll kick things off by visiting with Charlie Seal. He is the executive director of the Exotic Wildlife Association. Uh, And man, I've... I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but white rhinos coming to Texas as part of a conservation project? Yeah, that is actually going to happen. And I'm not talking about coming to a zoo, friends. I'm talking about on Texas ranches, on the landscape, not for hunting, but for the sole purpose of conserving the species. And people want to call hunters bad guys? Come on, give me a break. We are the biggest conservationists out there. And uh, anyway, we'll get into the Rhino 1000 project with Charlie coming up in uh, just a little bit. But definitely something I'm looking forward to. Uh, Then we'll shift gears and talk some fly fishing. We'll break out that long rod with Tom Rosenbauer of the Orvis Company, one of the most respected fly fishermen in North America, true innovator, Renowned author and Fly Rod and Reel Magazine's 2011 Angler of the Year, among other accolades. The list is endless. Uh, But Tom will be here, and we're going to get into uh, really kind of an intro into fly fishing. There's a lot of people out there who I think are intimidated by the sport, and you don't need to be. And and actually, I was one of those people uh, not too long ago. But, you know, you look at it and think, oh, this is such a daunting undertaking just give me my conventional bass rod and reel and I'll be good to go. No, fly fishing is like nothing else that you can experience. Um, and, and I'm not knocking conventional fishing. I'm saying do them both. Lord knows I love them both. And any day spent wetting a line, no matter how you are approaching it, is a good day in my book. Uh, but Tom will be here in just a little bit, and I'm certainly looking forward to that. Uh, after that, Ducks Unlimited Conservation Outreach Biologist Kirby Brown We'll stop by. If you're not aware, Texas rice production has really gone into the crapper here over the past couple decades, and even more so in the last four years. Uh, There are some obvious reasons why that has happened, and then there are some uh, underlying facts that we'll discuss as well. But the bottom line is less rice production means less habitat for wintering waterfowl. And I'm talking millions upon millions of ducks and geese that use the Texas rice prairies every winter. And long-term, we could be looking at some serious negative side effects uh, if the situation isn't rectified. So we'll find out what Ducks Unlimited is doing uh, and their relationship with landowners, water issues. There are a lot of moving parts in play here. Uh, But 
Kirby will break it down for us uh, coming up in just a little bit before we wrap up today's broadcast by talking early fall largemouth patterns with our good friend and longtime fishing guide, Charles Whited of Barefoot Fishing Tours. Uh, he'll tell us what the big girls are biting and where he's finding them as temperatures start to cool off just a little bit as we move into early September. Uh, so that's what's coming up on today's broadcast. It should be a good one. I'm certainly looking forward to it. couple other things to mention here real quickly. Our September photo of the month grand prize, a Mossberg 930 Duck Commander Signature Edition Semi-Automatic 12-Gauge Shotgun. That's right. We're giving away a Mossberg Semi-Auto 12-Gauge Shotgun to this month's photo of the month grand prize winner. All you have to do, email me your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com or better yet, post it directly to our Facebook page wall. We'll get you entered into this month's contest and then you guys and gals sort out the winner. I wash my hands of it. I don't want anything to do with that responsibility. I just want to see all your awesome hunting and fishing picks and then uh, y'all get to vote for this month's winner. So, Get those photos in because uh, not only do we have a great prize here in September, but also our 12 monthly winners from 2015 will square off once again at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at the lovely Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize hunt package lined up for our 2015 photo of the year winner. Uh, last thing here because Lone Star Beer has hooked me up with more Game Guard camouflage, then I know what to do with. Uh, all Lone Star Beer branded. I've got t-shirts, caps, and koozies. And we'll do two giveaways this morning. Um, to the third and the fourth person to text in the word Texas. That's Texas to 214-289-7807. Texas to 214-289-7807. And uh, we'll send out two prize packs that include Lone Star Beer, Game Guard, t-shirt, cap and koozies uh, so text in for your chance to win let's take a quick break here when we come back white rhinos on the texas landscape it's gonna happen and we'll get into it next with exotic wildlife association executive director charlie seal only on dsc's lone star outdoor show LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. 
or a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. If you're in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas, Louisville, Bobcat of Fort Worth, and Bobcat of Longview. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Hey, hey, y'all, this is Roger Crager, and if I'm not out fishing or trying to take over the world, I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little more than a few old guns handed down the line. Once owned by my nana and papa, but now they're mine. That's the ticket right there. Roger Kreger, I've got the guns by request, bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hot Power Polaris. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you. Thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate you as we are about to get into one of the most interesting conservation undertakings that I've ever heard of. Uh, and it's actually going to take place right here in Texas. But before we jump into that, uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Pulsar, where they strive to provide outdoorsmen with the latest innovations in thermal imaging and digital night vision technology. Pulsar continues to set the gold standard in image quality, producing first-class rifle scopes and optics for hunters around the world. Keep your prey in sight, day or night, by visiting PulsarNV.com. Uh, well, let's go ahead now and bring on our first guest today. Uh, he is the executive director of the Exotic Wildlife Association, and he's got some breaking news to share with us on the conservation front. It's my pleasure to welcome our old friend, Charlie Seal, back to the program. Well, I appreciate you having us on the uh, cable, and it's, uh, it's once again, it's a pleasure to be here. Our pleasure's all ours, and... Um, for those out there today who might not be familiar with the uh, EWA, why don't we start by just uh, you giving us a brief overview of the organization and, and what you guys do. Uh, the Exotic Wildlife Association was founded back in 1967 uh, to represent the, the breeders uh, and the producers of the newly, you know, newly emerging exotic industry. Um, they were responsible, the EWA was, for having all the exotics in Texas classified as livestock, therefore putting them under the Department of Agriculture uh, for the regulations and uh, rules that, that govern the, the breeding and the transporting of these around the state. Okay, and so today, obviously, uh, right there on the front lines of, of everything that's going on with uh, with exotics here in the Lone Star State, and it was instrumental, I mean, you guys are right there um, with all of the ridiculous legislation that, you know, we had with the scimitar horned oryx, the, the, uh, dama gazelle and the addicts, as far as the restric restrictions that were placed on those three species. Uh, luckily that has since been overturned 
and uh, you know that was a I mean that was a huge deal and a major victory though for for not only the hunting community in Texas but also landowner rights. Well, it was a huge victory, and I think probably the biggest winners out of all of this uh, cable was the uh, the animals themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they had right after the restrictions went back on them. Um, the people began to unload them, uh, discounted hunts, everything. I mean, it was totally ridiculous what happened and this panic. And luckily, luckily, after about three years, we were able to reverse that decision, put them back under the exemption that they enjoyed back in September of '05. So we have had some major successes uh, in conservation, and uh, we're about to embark on probably one of the biggest projects that EWA has ever taken on. Yeah, we're going to talk about that uh, here in just a second. But I did want to say... Um, just to reiterate, the biggest winners were the animals themselves. Well, uh, the scimitar horned oryx was, you know, basically extinct back home in its native Africa, and I don't remember which country it's, uh, you know, originated in. But, um, you know, if it wasn't for Texas ranchers and, and ranches um, breeding these animals, I don't know that they'd even exist today. Well, they are the scimitar horned oryx, and we'll take that one specifically, uh, is extinct in the wild, and there's a few. Oh, probably less than uh, less than two or three hundred of them left on preserves up in Northwest Africa, in the, in the country of Senegal, uh, and and down into Chad, places like that. And uh, and there are some in the you know the United Arab Emirates that that are privately owned by some of the kings over there. But um, quite frankly, if it wasn't for the Texas ranchers and and a lot of those are our members. Uh, who were able to freely buy, trade, and sell them? They would be totally, they'd be totally gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. So that's one conservation success story. Let's talk about another. Uh, rhinos have been in big trouble uh, here over the past. Gosh, just you know, I was looking at a chart the other day, and the, the poaching epidemic really didn't get that bad until the last ten or so years. But you just look at the number of, of rhinos being poached, both white and and black, but more so right, uh, white rhinos because there are just more of them, and it just keeps going up and up and up, and that's a pretty disturbing trend that we're seeing. Um, and, and in addition to habitat loss, they're having a hard time, uh, you know, back home in Africa. Well, you know, pretty much the, um, the and we'll talk about the white rhino. It numbered in the, you know, almost half a million animals back at the during the 20th century, and then as of today, uh, there's only about 25,000 left in South Africa. And the, the you you know you you alluded to the the horn trade. Well, this was primarily brought on. It's an illegal horn trade, I might add, and it's brought on by the by Southeast Asia's demand for a rhino horn, which is much like your fingernail. It's a it's a keratin, and and uh, they they make this into all sorts of uh, medi- medicines, and you know for medicinal purposes, mm-hmm. and they believe it it's it's as an aphrodisiac and things like this. So that has created quite a demand, and. When you've got a country that uh, is as poor as South Africa is for the most part, I mean, some some of the annual income, some of the folks over there is around $1,700 a year, hmm. uh, and this rhino horn is selling on the black market for $90,000 a kilogram. I mean, it doesn't take a, you know, mathematician to to figure out that uh, you know these these poachers. It's a very lucrative trade, and they're they are and it's funding also. The, uh, the the terrorist organizations Boko Haram and ISIS ISIS is also um, you you know paying for this illegal uh, or getting the money for the illegal horn trade simply to fund their wars and things over there. So we're losing anywhere from three to five rhinos a week, 
and uh, that's one about every eight hours is is killed for for its horn. And yeah. so, you know, our kind of our motto cable is that we're developing through White Rhino 1000. If you can't take the danger away from the animal, then we'll take the animal away from the danger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, you you mentioned right there Rhino 1000, uh, and you and I had begun talking. I guess we received a press release from you guys when this was in its infantile stages that you know these white rhinos might be coming to texas so that we can protect them and ensure the uh you know the survival of the species talk about where we're at right now um and and kind of where we're going moving forward well we had a uh you know the rhino summit uh up in the in austin here just a, a few weeks back where we had members from south africa you know ranchers uh, leaders in the conservation groups from over there also met with our leaders over here in the conservation groups and uh, you know, brought this plan and, and started the, the, the foundation of it. And where we're at today is we have now raised enough money to bring the first load of, of rhinos uh, to Texas. And uh, they do have, uh, and we call them adoptive families, they do have uh, two ranches that these this first load will be going to. And um, you know these babies uh, will come in here. They're they're, they're somewhat uh, traumatized from from what they've been through, and uh, our plan is to they'll they'll be uh, acclimated to the to the terrain and also introduced back into herds uh, again, where uh, with already existing herds of white rhino that are that are on ranches here that. Uh, now they, these didn't come from South Africa. The ones that they'll be staying with, these were, you know, propagated by some of the um, other conservation groups and zoos and things like that. But they'll acclimate the babies, and so we're looking right after the first part of the year to to bring these first animals in. Wow. Okay. Uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. And so, are these babies? I mean, you're, you're talking about traumatized. I mean, obviously the travel, but are these uh, the offspring of of you know, say a mother that was poached or What's the deal there? No, they they are the offspring of um, they were with their mothers when their mothers were killed. That's why we you know these uh, animal psychologists and and there will be some of those on 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 board with us that uh, that deal with animal behavior that uh, they they suffer from some of the same stresses and things that humans do uh, when they're in a traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will and and when we start transporting these these little guys back over here. Uh, we will have a, a, a veterinarian that will be on board, and they'll be transported by by aircraft uh, here. And um, we'll have, a, like I said, they'll be monitored the entire way, and um, for their health and everything. And and I, I this will be a, you know, it'll be a, a successful process and a and a project. I mean, we're we're going to go forward with this thing, and our goal is to, you know, the, the name Rhino One Thousand kind of is a. Misleading. It's not that we're going to bring a thousand of these guys over here, but we hoped in the in the near future, should South Africa get a handle on its, that we can certainly start to propagate uh, some of these offspring here back to their native South Africa. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that was a part of the plan. Uh, exciting stuff there. Um, okay. And let me ask you this: What? Uh, I mean, will these rhino breed here on the Texas landscape? The Texas landscape, and that's why tex, uh, you know Texas and primarily the the hill country in South Texas was chosen uh, as a perfect spot for them because the terrain and the climate and is is almost identical to their their native land, mm-hmm. and uh, they should be uh, you know 
there are requirements, and and you know we 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 have to go through all of this kind of Rhino University, if you will, with uh, folks before they're ever allowed to adopt them, so they know how to handle them, how to care for them. There are certain restrictions that USDA uh, places uh, on the facilities. They have to build be built to certain specifications, and uh, you know it, the the white rhino is not an easy animal to propagate. Uh, a breeding herd is considered anywhere from four to six females and two males, hmm. um, and you know their gestation periods around sixteen months. So they, you know, they, it takes a while to start building sure. building up a family unit. Well, I mean, overall, just uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, truly, a, a great conservation endeavor one that we will be looking forward to uh to keeping our eye on and and uh obviously hope that that it goes swimmingly and and uh at the very least we uh you know ensure that these uh well these adopted and traumatized uh rhinos are are cared for here in the lone star state and hopefully like you said south africa can get a handle on this uh poaching epidemic because it's uh it's, it's only getting worse it's it's really not showing signs of, of lessening no until you can take the value out of it uh you know how that is it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's going to be it'll be that way and one of the things that i think cable that your listeners need to really understand is that we're not bringing these rhinos we've been accused of bringing them over here for hunting purposes for commercial purposes uh there is a contract that will be signed between the adoptive family uh the ranch if you will and rhino 1000 uh foundation and that will be that they they are here strictly for propagation only. There's nor will they ever uh, be in a in a legal horn trade if if there was ever such a thing to to be developed. Awesome, awesome stuff, Charlie. Uh, the conservation initiative never sleeps. It's alive and well uh, here on the Texas landscape. If you want to give us the website, and also I believe y'all are pretty active on your Facebook page as well. Yeah, uh, you can just go to Facebook and then type in Exotic Wildlife Association. And uh, that'll pull up. Give us a like and, and check out our, our post there on, you know, dealing with Rhino 1000 or go to our website, which is www.myewa.org. That's my, myewa.org. And uh, it'll, we, we tell the story of Rhino 1000 there. Excellent. Well, hey, Charlie, great stuff today. I look forward to our next visit, my friend. Well, thanks again, Kay. We'll look forward to the next visit. Until then, man. Bye bye. All right, there he goes, Charlie Seal, Executive Director of the Exotic Wildlife Association. Uh, Really interesting stuff there. Uh, That segment, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deerbacked Buck Forge Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at 1-877-610-SEED today. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll change things up and break out the long rod, and we'll talk some fly fishing with Orvis, Rod and Tackles, Tom Rosenbauer, one of the most respected fly fishermen in North America. He joins us next only on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show. The wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. Texas Boot Company. 
best place for boots in Texas is the Texas Boot Company in Bastrop. Make plans to attend their Design Your Own Boot Trunk Show and Wild Game Cookout September 11th and 12th. Visit TexasBootCompany.com for details. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Cable Smith here for the beautiful Eagle Shores in Lake Bob Sandlin. Only a few deep water dockable lakefront home sites remain. This is the fastest selling community ever on Lake Bob Sandlin. So come enjoy the no pressure atmosphere when you take a look at these amazing lakefront properties before they sell out. Call 877-9-Lakeside or visit www.eagleshoresTexas.com. Rockwall Gun Club is North Texas' premier shooting facility, offering both indoor and outdoor ranges, including a unique 500-yard rifle range. If shotgunning's your thing, then check out the 18-station clay course. Opening summer 2014, Rockwall Gun Club is offering special introductory family and corporate membership rates for founding members. Located at 15950 State Highway 205, you can also visit rockwallgunclub.com or call 972-215-6902. Rockwall Gun Club, the private shooting experience. At Frost, we could talk to you about our 24-7 online banking. Or we could talk to you about our more than 1,100 ATMs across Texas. We can even talk to you about our mobile banking app that lets you pay bills, transfer funds, and deposit checks from anywhere. But at the end of the day, there's nothing we enjoy more than to just talk to you. Thank you for calling Frost. How may I help you? We're here with the technology and convenience you want and the service you deserve. Frost. Banking. Investments. Insurance. Hi, this is professional bass angler Kelly Jordan, and if I'm not on the lake or in the deer stand, there's a good chance I'll be listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. My Nashville friends, they think I'm strange to make my home out on the range. They think it's nothing but a God-forsaken land. Why don't you bring your guitar and family move on down to Tennessee? One of my favorites, Sam from Chris Ledoux, bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, Western Skies is the name of that one. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Uh, And thanks to you for being here today. I do appreciate it as we are about to talk some fly fishing with Tom Rosenbauer of the Orvis Company. He is a renowned author and really one of the uh, leading pioneers when it comes to uh, innovation in fly fishing in North America. He's also the host of the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast. Uh, But before we are joined by Tom, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Hercules Hunting Blinds. They are Texas made and Texas owned. And I keep telling (laughs) y'all, the one I have on my lease, it is the Taj Mahal of hunting blinds. It's got carpet, cup holders, shelves, you name it. It's got windows for both archery and rifle hunters. Check it out, HerculesHuntingBlinds.com. Well, let's go ahead now and get into some fly fishing discussion. Uh, It's a topic that we don't cover that frequently on the show because, 
hell, we all know bass is king in Texas. That's the way it's always been, and Texas Parks and Wildlife has sunk uh, millions upon millions of dollars into our bass fishery. That's what I was raised on. And bass fishing is uh, its still my favorite thing, probably always will be. But I'll tell you what, over the last seven or eight years, uh, I've really began to enjoy the hell out of fly fishing as well. It truly is a uh, a gentleman's sport. And I know there's a lot of women out there who enjoy fly fishing as well, but I mean, it's nostalgic. It's that quest uh, to get out in those wide open spaces out west. And I think the whole allure of uh, the fly fishing journey and destination really adds to its mystique. But I'm here to tell you, there is plenty of fly fishing opportunity in Texas, from sight casting to redfish and uh, tarpon on the coast to bass and the ever-increasingly popular carp fishing uh, that we see going on in many of our reservoirs these days. Uh, So plenty of opportunity and we're going to go ahead and, and talk some fly fishing here this morning with Tom Rosenbauer of the Orvis Company. He's also the host of the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast, and we are thrilled now to have Tom join us. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. It is our pleasure, our pleasure. And for uh, any of our listeners who might not be familiar with you, you know, you've been with Orvis for over 30 years now. Um, you began commercially tying flies at 14. I think you have like 11 books in print, maybe more than that now. I've been published by every major outdoor publication um, out there. And also something interesting that I didn't know was uh, you've been credited with bringing the beadhead fly uh, to North America. But take us back to the beginning. How did it all start for you? Well, I, you know, I was always a fisherman. Um, my dad took me fishing. As, um, I was lucky enough to have a dad who liked to fish, but then he kind of he kind of got into golf, and I kept fishing and um, just conventional worm fishing and gear fishing, and I just thought fly fishing looked kind of cool. It looked, looked interesting. It looked fun. I didn't know, you know, back then there were no videos. There were no podcasts. There was nothing. This was in the late 60s a few books in the library and I uh, had a buddy in Boy Scouts who liked to fish too. So we kind of learned together and, you know, taught ourselves how to do it and took us probably five years to learn what you'd learn in a, in a two hour clinic (laughs) these days. (laughs) Yeah. Right on. Well, um, okay, cool. So uh, what is your opinion though on fly fishing today? Is it, increasing in popularity decreasing or is it just kind of in a holding pattern well i think that it's um i think that it's there are more people getting into it i don't i don't think it's growing by leaps and bounds but the issue is that it requires um you know people think it's expensive and it's not really it's not really it doesn't have to be that expensive um cheaper than going into bass fishing for instance um but um, you know, there's a pretty high dropout rate because there's a time commitment there and there's a learning curve. Um, so um, it's what they call a leaky bucket. You know, there's a lot of people getting into it, particularly young people, which I think is incredible because if you look 10, 15 years ago, there were very few younger people in their teens or in their 20s or even early 30s. Uh, that that would fly fish but now it's big on college campuses there's fishing clubs and you see a lot more young people uh, into fly fishing which is really cool because they do things differently and they like to make it more exciting and visceral so um, it's a it's a neat time to be in this industry right on right on yeah um, 
I'm 33. I think I've been at it for oh seven or eight years now. Um, but you know, being from Texas, there are a lot of fly fishermen here, but I'd say percentage wise, we're probably pretty poorly represented because we simply, we don't have a viable year round trout stream down here. It's just too hot. Uh, well, so- that's one of the, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the issues is that everybody connects fly fishing with trout. And yes, it's a great way to catch trout, probably the best way to catch trout, but you can have so much fun fishing for largemouth and smallmouth bass and panfish and, and redfish on the coast with with a fly rod. It's just as much fun, if not more, and, and uh, carp fishing with a fly. Sight fishing for carp is probably one of the most exciting things you can do with a fly rod. It's not easy either. It's quite difficult, but yeah. it's a real challenge. So, you know, people shouldn't equate fly fishing with trout fishing. It's it's definitely not just trout. And if you look at if you look at a lot of the movies and, and videos that are out there now, books and websites, you'll see that it's way beyond trout. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going to go with that. But I, I, I think that that's the misconception among a lot of Texans as well. You know, they see the, uh, you know, kind of the, the glorified, like in movies like A River Runs Through It or stuff like that, you know. Yeah. It's all about the trout. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But actually, I went carping with uh, one of the, the uh, guys from the Orvis Plano store um, last year. That was, oh, my gosh. It, it reminded me of like poor man's red fishing on you know. On it the is, yeah. And those things yeah. fight and oh, a lot of fun sight casting to them. Um, and 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 you don't really even have to be that great with your fly rod because a lot of those shots are inside ten feet. So yeah, but boy, you got to be sneaky and stealthy yeah. <laughs> and and carp. You 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 know some some it's funny some carp are eaters and in certain lakes they're. They are really aggressive in other lakes. They're like almost impossible. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you must have hit some good eaters. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, and like you said, redfish on the coast. That's that is popular here in Texas as well as uh, yeah. sight casting the, yeah. the the flats and stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, as far as what would you say to a longtime rod and reel angler to spark their interest in possibly you know trying their hand at, at fly fishing? Yeah, you know, you know what I would do? I would tell them to get a relatively inexpensive outfit. They want to spend 150 or they want to spend 150 or 200 bucks on a fly rod. Um, and don't worry about waders and don't worry about a fishing vest and all that other stuff because you're not going to need waders in Texas probably anyway. Um, just get a few get a few flies, go to a fly shop, one an Orvis store get a bunch of flies, go out and catch some brim, some bluegills, some panfish first, or some small bass. And, you know, just take the fly rod along with you. Don't don't try to spend the whole day fly fishing. Just take it along and, and catch some fish right away. And then if you decide you like it, then maybe you want to get some casting lessons. You know, the Orvis stores offer free fly casting clinics, um, the knots. If you're a gear fisherman, you probably already know the knots you need to know. Um, and it's just another way of fishing. So, you know, take the, throw the fly rod in the boat, take it along, have some fun with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the first thing I did was, you know, I got set up with that, you know, fly rod and reel. And, and then, once again, the guys over at Orbis uh, gave me a little lesson. So, uh, and, and I was just going cold turkey into it. I was like, I'm going to New Mexico uh, grouse hunting, and we're going to do some fly fishing. I didn't know the first thing about it. 
But if I uh-huh. can go to New Mexico and catch a couple of trout on my first trip, you know, anybody can do it. Yeah, it's not it's not some black art, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just another way of sticking a hook in a fish's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um well, once they've decided to take that plunge, uh, they've gotten, you know, set up with a rod and reel, maybe taken a lesson. What are some tips, you know, just that you would offer? And and I actually read uh, a good article in I think it was Gink and Gasoline uh, fly fishing um uh publication there on the internet. Uh but you you offered some tips like I guess observation of, you know, when you catch a fish, why that fish hit that fly, what time of day, all that stuff. I think you really do need to be more observing, uh, observant when you're fly fishing than, say, you know, just chunking a, a crankbait out trying to catch some bass. Yeah, you do You do need to be more observant. Um, and, you know, you don't need to know entomology and hatches and all that stuff. Um, it helps to have a situation where you can sight fish. It's just more fun with a fly rod. I mean, you can blind fish, you know, you can throw a sinking line into a deep reservoir and, and catch bass or uh, stripers or whatever, but it's not much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a lot better off when fish are in the shallows or feeding on the surface and you actually have a visible target. You know, it's there's a little bit more of a learning curve to fly fishing. Don't expect to be successful right away. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that trout are hard to catch. For everybody, even the experts have tough days on trout, um, bass and panfish, and um, you know the small redfish are are a lot easier than trout. So don't don't go off and go trout fishing right away. Start with some some easier stuff until you decide if you like it or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, to be honest with you, I, I still, you know, I take my son. He's two and a half. I put a worm on his hook, and I go. We go catch bluegill, and I take the fly rod, and. It's fun catching small fish on the fly rod because that that whole I mean that's what is appealing to me is just playing the fish and it really you know it's a lot different than just ripping them out of the water with a you know spinning reel or a bait caster. It is, yeah, it is. I mean, people say it's more sporting, but I don't know if it's more sporting. You can you can actually land a fish with a fly rod just as easily as you can um, quickly as you can land a fish with a spin rod. Um, you know they're flexible, but you can put some boots to the fish and and bring them in quickly if you want. You know, at the end of the day, it's just another way to catch fish. But you know, I think a lot of people, and and I've been there too. You know, starting out, you you spend half the day hung up in branches, and you're just trying to figure out fly fishing, and and you really have to take a step back and realize, hey, I'm here. This is fun. It's a lot of fun, uh, and just don't expect too much out of yourself. My old friend, the late Tony Skilton, was the director of the Orvis Fishing Schools many years ago, and and he used to say to the students at the beginning of the class, you know, you're supposed to go fishing stressed out and come back relaxed. (laughs) If you come back stressed out, you miss the point. Yeah, right on, right on. That's good insight right there. Shifting gears here just before we let you go, what is your favorite and, and I, you know, going back to trout, what is your favorite trout destination in North America? Oh boy, I got a lot of them. I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't pin it down. I can't pin it down. You know, there's, there's some little tiny brooks where I catch six-inch brook trout, seven-inch brook trout, and and that's my favorite when I happen to be on that stream. And then there are rivers in. Um, Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, where you're fishing for 20-inch trout, and they're my favorite when I'm there. So, you know, it's wherever you are, really. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Well, hey, tell us a little bit uh, about the Orvis Fly Fishing Guide podcast. Um, I was checking it out on iTunes here recently. There's a lot of great insight on there, but uh, y'all have been doing that for a number of years now. Yeah, I think about I think about three, maybe four years. Um, it's been really popular. Surprised the heck out of me how popular it's been. And it's fairly basic, you know. It's fairly basic fly fishing instruction. There's a pretty broad um, backlist, you know, archive of uh, of topics there that people can get into. And if they go to the they go to the Orvis Learning Center, which is a video based um, fly fishing learning center at um, howtoflyfish.orvis.com. Not only are there a lot of videos there where people can learn the basics, um, but also um, the podcasts are all there um, with searchable keywords. It's the only place you can go and search actual keywords within the podcast. So if people are looking for smallmouth bass or largemouth bass or bluegills, they can go into the Learning Center and the podcasts are all listed there and they can search them. So Cool. And then uh, last thing, where can folks find uh, your books? Like we said, you've got quite a few of them, a lot of great information uh, in those as well. Well, sometimes they're available in the Orvis stores. Amazon is probably a it's probably a better place <laughs> because they have them all. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, bookstores, Barnes and Noble uh, usually carries one or two titles, but you know, there any pretty much and independent bookstores, um, you know, which we all like to support if we can, um, we'll have them. So, if my publisher's doing his job, uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy any kind of sporting books. Right on. Well, hey, Tom, thank you so much for hopping on and talking some fly fishing with us today. Uh, I do want to remind folks they can check out the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast on iTunes. Uh, Thanks again for your time, and we will do it again somewhere on down the line. Well, thanks. I enjoyed it, too. And, uh, you know, to all your your listeners out there, just um, have fun with it and be patient. Thanks again, Tom. Take care, brother. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, there he goes, Tom Rosenbauer of Orvis Rod and Tackle, one of the most respected fly fishermen, instructors, and authors in North America. Uh, That segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by Rudy's Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, including the newest Rudy's in front of the Cabela's in Allen, Texas. Rudy's, true Texas-style barbecue. Uh, Let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, we've got some pressing waterfowl-related issues to get into with Ducks Unlimited Conservation Outreach Specialist Kirby Brown. What's going on with rice production in Texas down there at the tail end of the Central Flyway? We'll tackle that next only on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here for the beautiful Eagle Shores in Lake Bob Sandlin. Only a few deep water dockable lakefront home sites remain. This is the fastest selling community ever on Lake Bob Sandlin. So come enjoy the no pressure atmosphere when you take a look at these amazing lakefront properties before they sell out. Call 877-9-LAKESIDE or visit www.eagleshoresTexas.com.
LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Are you looking for the perfect place to send your hunting buddy? To check out Tioga Retrievers. With over 20 years experience, Angie and Tim Becker can provide you with a field champion or a well-rounded hunting companion. Tioga Retrievers takes pride in catering to the needs of each owner and their dog. Conveniently located 45 miles north of DFW in Aubrey, Texas, Tioga Retrievers also offers day training and boarding. Call 940-440-0018 or visit them online at www.tiogaretrievers.com. That's T-I-O-G-A retrievers.com. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. BioBore EB is the premier gasoline additive that combats the negative effects ethanol has on an engine. Its comprehensive formula is designed to protect marine engines and marine environments, yet also works great in all two- and four-stroke engines. It prevents phase separation and ethanol-related engine problems while stabilizing fuel for 18 months. BioBore's detergents also clean the entire fuel system of carbon and varnishes. BioBore EB has the best treat rate in the industry. One ounce treats an amazing 15 gallons of gas. Available at your local sporting goods store or visit BioBore.com today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. This is Dale Hall, CEO of Ducks Unlimited, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. the name of that one there from our good friend Justin Bowerman bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Gable Smith here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Uh, Whether you are listening to one of our 35 affiliates throughout Texas and beyond, maybe you're checking out the podcast. Uh, It's available for free on iTunes as well as on our website. Uh, No matter how you're tuned in, I am certainly glad that you are. And we are about to get into some pressing issues regarding Central Flyway 
ducks and geese. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available once again in the Game Guard camo can. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the Dove Field or the Deer Lease this fall. And remember, celebrate responsibly with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, let's go ahead and get into our next topic of discussion here, um, and it's directly related to Texas rice production and its effect on the millions upon millions of ducks and geese that depend on that geographic region and Texas rice production to help make it through the winter months. And so uh, there's also some water usage issues going on here uh, that are in play. And our next guest can provide a lot more insight and expertise on the situation than I ever could. It's my pleasure to welcome Ducks Unlimited conservation outreach biologist Kirby Brown to the show. You bet. Glad to be here, Cable. Hey, it's great to have you with us, Kirby. Um, now, you've been with Ducks Unlimited since 2012. Tell us a little bit about what you do as a conservation outreach biologist. I uh, principally work on water issues in Texas. Uh, issues that are associated with where's the water, what's the water doing, and how's the water availability for, for ducks and geese, waterfowl, also wetlands and wetland birds. So so in terms of looking at where we're at from Ducks Unlimited, we think about wetlands because we know if we've got them, we're going to have ducks and geese there. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, several places have, have been problematic. While we continue since, since 2011, the, the severe drought in 2011, We've seen the Colorado River shut off uh, down below Austin and, to rice farmers. And so the rice farmers are an interruptible customer. They're, uh, uh, they're not a firm customer like your cities or your businesses. Uh, they, get, they get water when the water is available. It's the first time the rice farmers uh, in that area have ever been cut off uh, since the LCRA has been in business. So, hmm. so it's still kind of, kind of surprising uh, to see that. And uh, it was due to low lake levels. We're in the middle of a bad drought and have been, we just got a respite from the recent rains this year, uh, starting uh, uh, in spring. And most of the lakes are now full. We expect farmers to get uh, rice water, this uh, this coming year, if the El Nino works out and everything everything goes to fashion, but but working on those water policy issues and water for waterfowl are the critical things that I try to do. And when is rice typically planted here in Texas? Rice is typically planted in in uh, March April time frame. Uh, they'll try and get the rice uh, uh, the first crop of rice out of the field uh, about July, sometimes uh, August. And then they'll start a second crop, a lot of them. And, and the second crop is really a uh, uh, something you could do down in the southern part of the state, like the coastal area of Texas and Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And uh, that second crop is, is more widely available for waterfowl. And uh, that's one of the reasons that you see when we look at the five priority areas uh, uh, in the in the North American continent for 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 ducks for for ducks and geese, we're looking at, of course, the the prairie potholes uh, and the uh, boreal forest in in Canada sure. and the upper U.S., but then also the Central Valley of California, 
which is primarily rice fields and wetlands. Yeah. The Mississippi alluvial valley, that's kind of Mississippi to uh, Arkansas, Missouri, that country there, that's rice fields. And then, of course, of course, the Texas Gulf Coast, which is uh, Louisiana and Texas, which has uh, a lot of rice. So, so when you start seeing rice disappear, we know that, that for every 10,000 acres of, of uh, rice that disappears, we lose the ability to feed 120,000 ducks and geese. Wow, wow. Okay, well, you know, I do want to take just a little step back. I know you said the drought, obviously, this whole situation uh, started back in 2011, but my grandfather used to tell me stories about just going to the Katy Prairie and wearing out the geese. And, you know, Texas was kind of the, the, the goose hunting mecca of uh north america for a while um that that seemed to go away though before this drought so i guess rice production was already on a a significant decline even before 2011. uh that's correct we we've seen a a, a tremendous drop in rice production in texas from about 600,000 acres during the uh probably the late 70s and early 80s to uh to somewhere around 150,000 acres today. And that steady drop has been primarily because of water issues, Mm -hmm. price of water, the continued issues like that. But also we see urban expansion around Houston. You also see it around uh, Beaumont, Port Arthur area. And so you're seeing things moving out a little bit into those areas. Where you were talking about on the Katy Prairie, for example, we've now got uh, 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 mega stores that sit on I-10 out where uh, I used to hunt geese hmm. uh, some 30 years ago. So, you know, when you look at that kind of stuff and that kind of growth into these areas, we're just seeing that urban expansion, that continued fragmentation of land and fragmentation of habitat that's hurting those those prairies. And we look at the, the rice in the rice country. We call it the rice prairie wetlands uh, system or ecosystem. It, it, it's a combination of having that rice with water with those those prairies that that are wet prairies when it rains and that's been the sustenance for those critters for about a hundred years and now seeing that go down is is really difficult Mm -hmm. well it's not like you know okay so we're losing rice habitat uh it's not like these ducks just or geese have somewhere else to go i mean there's not a lot of other options you know and that's where they that's where they go that's where they winter that's where they refuel on their way back north as they start their migration back to the breeding grounds, and I'm just doing a little research on my own. It looks like pintails are already being impacted as far as their numbers are concerned and and that there's a direct correlation to lost rice production acreage and and pintail numbers. That's right. We've been seeing uh, pintails decline as as we've seen the rice decline, and and pintails, of course, are, are... uh, uh, very wetted to the Gulf Coast and 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 to the uh, Mississippi alluvial valley into the Central Valley, and so when you start seeing reductions in rice in these areas, you see a it, it's a large food reduction for the pintail. So they they don't have that ability to move into a stock pond or something like this that you see other ducks do, and and do well when they get back to the breeding grounds because they've got to they got to survive the winter in the in the, in the cold they've got to they've got to fly all the way back spend that energy and then they've got to get there and they've got to nest sometimes in in terrible conditions and all of that together means they have to be in really good shape before they leave and and we're seeing. Uh, uh, body shape just just go down, and the energetics are are probably a large portion of that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and then you, you talk about other uh, species. I mean, anyone who's hunted the Texas coast knows that, yeah, we have lots of snow geese. Uh, so, you know, speckled bellies head that way. Uh, but then you start obviously talking about pintail, redheads by the, you know, hundreds of thousands, gadwall, widgeon, both blue and green wing teal use those areas. So you're talking about a, a widespread impact on a lot of different species, um, not not just pintails, but I mean, across the board. Um, and then and then you look at a duck like the model duck that, that makes that area its home year round. Uh, I mean, it's no secret why model duck numbers are on the decline as well. Well, that's right. Again, you've got to have fresh water uh, for the model ducks, but also for the redheads and the ducks that use the bays. The fresh water has to has to has to sweeten that bay and help that bay with the submerged vegetation and submerge uh, not just not just those submerged aquatics, but submerged invertebrates. You know things that they feed on, and then they've got to have fresh water back inland somewhere to get back into. And so, anytime you see those declines and you see ducks really piling up in smaller areas, uh, things just happen. You just don't have good things. You, you mentioned the ducks. You know, in 2014, uh, uh, well, the Midwinter Waterfowl Survey in, here in 2015, which is the basically the end of 2014, the beginning of 2015, that 2015 Midwaterfowl Survey this year, you know, total duck numbers were down basically 26% in the coastal zone. And, mm-hmm. and so that's a large downward movement. But dabbler ducks in that coastal zone were down 43%. So, so you begin to see those impacts and effects. And in fact, on the Gulf Coast, we probably looked at fewer ducks this year. And, and according to the numbers, according to the survey, there were fewer ducks this year than there were in the Oakwoods and Blackland Prairie Zone. That's that area basically uh, from from west of Fort Worth, east of Dallas, and down toward Austin, and, and you know, kind, kind of that, that entire zone where we've got those uh, stock tanks. Mm-hmm. We're holding more birds than you were holding in the Gulf Coast. Wow. And so that, that's the impacts that we're seeing with the loss of water in these areas. It, it, it's a huge, huge change. And putting those ducks on prairie potholes, you have less gun pressure. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't know if they have the groceries yet. That's that's part of the studies that we're, we're starting to find out. Yeah. Well, okay, so Texas water policy obviously uh, has everything to do with this. Um, so, I mean, talk about how Ducks Unlimited is working with landowners and working with policy writers, kind of break down that relationship and how uh, we're trying to stem the tide of this loss of of rice uh, production acreage. Well, I, I think I think what's important is for people to to understand that that you know waterfowl, wetlands, uh, wildlife have a place in the landscape uh, uh, just like people, and our urban communities are growing rapidly. Uh, the Austin area is now over two million people. You know, you look at Houston and Dallas, Fort Worth, you look at all the major cities that are growing rapidly. That's great for our economy, but they do consume a lot of water. And a lot of that water goes on lawns. Uh, an article just came out from NASA findings that show basically uh, lawns are now the largest crop, irrigated crop in the United States. Mm. It is Lawns are, are basically an area the size of Texas uh, within the United States, and lawns are about 50-60% overall across the U.S. of the use of fresh water, not drinking water, not, not water for showering. Taking the total volume of fresh water 
laundry 50 to 60 percent of that that's a that's a pretty staggering number so i'm gonna go probably, tear up my grass and put some rocks in my front yard <laughs> <laughs> I understand it. I do it for the ducks do it for the ducks yeah. we're, we're there right now and so so looking at that policy making the people aware making people uh upstream aware of what's going on downstream is very important we've we've worked with uh uh, community leaders, counties, uh, county judges and, and commissioners, uh, businesses, uh, uh, guides, uh, both both fishing guides, commercial fishing guides, uh, 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 hunting guides, uh, both in the Colorado River and now in the lower Brazos River, that lower Colorado and lower Brazos. We've got all the county judges along the, the counties in the Colorado River now part of a lower Colorado River Basin Coalition. And the, the, the point is to bring that whole focus on, hey, let's look at this all together. Water use has to be something not just one group gets. Let's look at this all together and what needs to happen for us to share the water in the river. Having that kind of thing in the lower Brazos and the lower Colorado is, is kind of a pattern that we're going to have to use to kind of pull that uh, uh, story out and make sure people understand the story that it's it's not just about uh, uh, unfortunately drinking water. It, it's about it's about all the water use, and we've got to decide how we're going to use water and share water in, hmm. in the state. Yeah. And that's part of what we're doing. Sure is. Okay, well, great, great insight there. Uh, I guess last thing I'm gonna I wanted to ask you is, you know, is the incentive for these landowners say they did have access to the water? Would rice be the most financially um, sensible thing for them to, to plant as far as their crop goes? Or, or has the rice, uh, the value of rice um, gone down significantly? You know, r- r- rice prices right now are in a, in a decline. They're, they're about uh, uh, running probably about 20% off. Uh, kind of kind of averages right now of, of, of prices, and so and and that's taking into account inflation and other things. So so you're 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 at about ten to twenty percent off in time in these recent years mm-hmm. in prices, and that that's been tough on people. But a lot of the folks in these areas are sitting in, in areas that are uh, the soils are are highly sandy soils, very sandy, droughty soils underlain by clay. When you put water on them, the water stays, hmm. and you're sitting on the coast. So when it rains, your water stays in place. So you drown the roots of most other crops as you move out from those 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 uh, uh, bottom lands in in terms of of of, of outward from the uh, alluvial section of those those rivers and, and, and well outside, then you can get into places where under dry conditions you can actually be successful at growing some crops. Mm-hmm. But when it when it turns dry, like the flash drought this summer, it that affected a lot of the crops down there too. So mm-hmm. So, so logistically you're, you're, though, rice is just it's the most uh, it's the yeah. best alternative. It's the best the best crop that they can mm-hmm. plant with the soil conditions and and, uh, and stuff that they've got in those areas. It's about the only thing you can actually grow, and okay. and you know well, that's the other good. I, I'm glad go, to hear that. Yeah, it, the only other option is go back to to cattle, go back to prairie, and because uh, uh, you get so much leaching, it's it's not as good a good a grass as some other areas. Mm-hmm. But uh, but so that's why rice is is up there. That's why it's important, and you know rice still feeds the world in terms of of its value to the world, but uh, but that that's it also feeds ducks, and its mm-hmm. value to the ducks is incredible. Right, right. Well, cool. Well, hey, uh, 
very interesting and informative stuff today, Kirby. I, I certainly do uh, appreciate your time. And we will, uh, we'll, number one, we'll keep praying for rain. I mean, we had all this flooding, and I tell you what, I go look at my yard, and there's cracks everywhere. It's like we went mm-hmm. from one extreme to the next, and now everything's yeah, ba- baked out again. I'd, I'd never heard the term flash drought before, but but that you know that's what we ran into. We we finished those rains and then boom, we went right back into a flash drought. But the, I guess the good news is we've got a strong El Nino. We're going to get the rain according to all the forecasts. The bad news is we have an Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation in a uh, warming period, which which basically is is. The, the big system that controls what typically happens in in the south uh, with drought. And so since that's in place, and it's usually about a 30-year cycle, and we're in about 20 years of it. So hmm. so we may have another 10 years, 10, 15 years of drought coming at us. You never know about that cable. You yeah. just don't know. That is the truth. Well, hey, we appreciate your time today. And, Kirby, we look forward to visiting with you again somewhere in the near future. Thanks for all you do and obviously all that Ducks Unlimited does uh, for our waterfowl. Sounds good, Chief. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye now. All right, there he goes. Ducks Unlimited conservation outreach biologist Kirby Brown. Uh, We appreciate his insight today. That segment of the program, by the way, brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. You think about Ducks Unlimited, all they do for our waterfowl, Dallas Safari Club does the same thing except for big game. And we would love nothing more than for you to get involved with us and uh, spread the mission of conservation education and hunter advocacy. Check us out at biggame.org. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, longtime bass fishing guide and successful tournament angler Charles Whited joins us. And we'll dive into early fall largemouth patterns up next on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's a vacancy at home. Not tonight at the no-tail motel. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. 
You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Howdy, this is Robert Earl Keen, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Up this morning, before the sun, fix me some coffee and a honey bun. Jumped in the pickup, gave her the gas, I'm going out to catch a five-pound. There's an all-time classic from Robert Earl Keane bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer. And Hoff Power Polaris, Cable Smith here. Thank you so much for spending a part of your weekend with me as we are about to talk some largemouth bass here with our good friend Charles Whited. But first, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Foreverlast, a Texas-based hunting and fishing company. They've got a unique lineup of outdoor products from dove hunting belts to wading belts, ray guards, snake guard shields. So whether you're a dove hunter or a wade fisherman or both, uh, they've got you covered. And they've got a brand-new tailgate grill. And this thing is perfect for the chef on the run take this thing with you on your next outdoor adventure cook up that wild game right there in camp and you can check out their full lineup of outdoor products by visiting foreverlast.com foreverlast where we live hunting and fishing all right next up it is our longtime friend and bass fishing guide charles whited of barefoot fishing tours he's got a list of accolades longer than you could shake a stick at Two Toyota Sherlunkers have come over the rail of his bass boat. He's won more Angler of the Year titles than he knows what to do with. And he joins us right now to talk early fall largemouth patterns. Charles, thanks for being here, man. Man, glad to be back. Well, hey, let's talk some fishing. Uh, I know that you've still been, man, y'all have been wearing them out. Uh, and you've been doing, you know, obviously you won the uh, Texas Tournament Zone uh, Angler of the Year again this past year. Um, but you've been fishing uh, some other tournaments, and I know that in the past couple of weeks had another first place and a second place, and you're just still you're still hammering them. Man, we I I can't complain. It's, we've been uh we've been catching them all year actually. I mean, you'll go a couple of tournaments and you know you don't cash a check, but I think we did seven or eight in a row. You know, that's that's all you can ask for is get your money back and hopefully a little bit more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pay for your gas, yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Man. Yeah. No doubt. And were, and those last couple were those on uh, Canyon or where were those? Uh, one was on Canyon. One was on Dunlap. Here we got a Thursday night tournament, and uh, the one at Dunlap, heck, we had thirty-seven boats. Mm. You know, we're getting a big turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, really really good if anybody's in the area. Forty bucks to come out and try to try to win five or six hundred and free free beer afterwards it's hard to beat you know what i mean try to knock charles off of his perch up there <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's one more left tomorrow and i'm leading angler of the year in that and i i got about a 40 point lead so looking like i may get two angler of the year this year i'm fired up wow wow the accolades yeah. continue to pile up man and it's all through hard work i mean uh this is this is what you do um and you've been taking you know obviously taking trips uh booking customers and and just following along on your Facebook page, uh, they've been catching some big ones too. 
Man, I, I tell you, it was. I had a guy today actually uh, caught his biggest fish and never caught a crappie, caught four or five crappie. You know, it. That's what I look forward to and love doing it. You know, it's putting people on fish, making that smile every once in a while. I hear you, brother. Well, hey, tell us uh, a little bit about where you're finding most of your fish staging and then what baits you're having the most success with right now. I don't. For some reason, there's still a little bit of – there's a lot of small shad going on, and we actually found some schooling today. But, you know, it, it's getting into that 12 or 10-foot to 15-foot range is the most consistent. Mm-hmm. And if, if you got some offshore deep stuff, big crankbaits and Carolina rig and wacky worm deep, you know, fishing it real slow if they're, if they're not biting. And that's been the, that's been the promising deal. Um, but in the morning you can put on a pop bar or buzz bait and, and you got about an hour window where if you can cover some water, you can get some top water action. And that's, we, we try to do that every morning and the lakes around, you know, where people got, if they got any overhanging limbs and any type of shade, and don't leave that frog out, even midday, just firing a white or black frog. And uh, we've been catching some good ones doing that, too. So white or black, is that just because they offer the most contrast? or I, I feel that it's it's more of a shad deal. You're, you know, white and black has always been my shad deal. I, I, that's, if I throw a frog, that's usually all I throw. Every once in a while, I mix in a brown one, you know. I just got confidence in it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you look up under those trees, man, there's just balls of shad and a couple big perch cruising around. And I think just getting that frog up there, it's a reaction bite. Get it up there and burn it fast and then pause it. And, and they they will hit it. I mean, I, we fished last Sunday a tournament, and our biggest fish came at 1230 on a frog. You wow. Know, 104 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can do it. You just got to find that shade. They, they're just like us. They want to stay cool. Uh-huh. They want to find that thermocline. And if they're down deep, they'll thermocline. If not, they'll be in the shade. Hmm. Well, and, you know, um, Ish Monroe, uh, you know, from the Elite Series, he's been on the show before, and he's a huge frog fisherman. And one thing he, he said, oh, it might have been a year ago, but he told me, um, yeah, he just doesn't like to fish deep, first and foremost. So he's always fishing shallow 12 months out of the year. And I was talking to him about what time of the day is best for, you know, frog fishing. And he goes, all day long, but I'll tell you this, the biggest bites I ever get on a frog are midday. So I believe it. take that for what it's worth. Those those big those big girls are lurking, and for whatever reason, the you know, the heat of the day doesn't seem to bother them. They're coming up, and they are, you know, for whatever reason, the big girls seem to want to eat then. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you know, that's everybody picks up a, a topwater and throws it the first 20, 30 minutes and puts it down. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, if you can hang with it, and especially if you get a limit in the boat and you got a little, you know, a little pressure off, it's good to keep throwing that topwater and get a, get a big fish. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned obviously throwing crankbaits. That's that's probably my favorite thing. That and soft plastics to throw. Um, what I mean, you're talking about all the shad. So are you strictly sticking with shad-colored crankbaits right now? I, I really have been. Um, sexy shad, sexy chartreuse, any of that stuff. And I've been downsizing, throwing real small. You know, they they make a 1.5 square bill, and then they make one of the actually smaller. Strike King makes it, and uh, 
you know, matching the hats. Right now, we got a bunch of little bitty shad. I mean, they look like the size of a dime. Hmm. And we've we've been throwing it on, you know, 10-pound test and and, uh, just getting it down there where you can cast a light bait, you know. Some people may, if you don't fish a lot, you know, I suggest throwing it on a spinning rod so you can get it out there. But, I mean, we throw it on a on a seven three crankbait rod where you can get a little distance out of it. Mm-hmm. But, let me ask you this. As someone who's on the water just about every day, has been doing this for, you know, most of your adult life, um, what is the most crazy thing that you've ever seen inside a bass's stomach that you've caught where you were just like, I mean, because obviously the reason why we all like to catch them is because they're just such voracious predatory fish and, <laughs> and they're so much fun, but they'll eat anything. So what's the craziest thing that you've seen one eat? Man, um, I'm going to have to say, uh, a small yellow duck. I, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen a little bitty duck in the fish's mouth. I saw the bill of it and pulled it out and that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, a duck, they'll eat anything moving. I mean, I've heard of people finding feathers and, you know, turtles and, you know, I, I don't know, a little ducks was my deal on yeah. uh, actually Lake Dunlap. <laughs> and you look in there, you see a little bill in there, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was it, man. But, yeah, that's uh, funny. You know, I, I have to clean bass every once in a while. You know, some people, they, you know, we keep two pounders and less, you know, and people want to take fish home if we don't do a crappie trip but mm-hmm. i i cleaned the fish at del rio one time that had six plastic worms and two hooks in its in its gullet so wow you know people throwing plastics over man it's a it's not a good deal like i said always always throw them in the boat not in the water because those fish will eat them and pick them up off the bottom and i think it kind of stunts their growth and kills them oh yeah but, for sure. I mean, imagine that's something they don't pass. I mean, if that one had six in there, clearly it's not yeah. it's not digesting, uh, breaking down yeah, that no plastic. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, well, uh, talking about soft plastics, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, going deep sometimes, you're, you're wacky rigging right now or Carolina rigging. Uh, what soft plastic are you throwing as far as, you know, imagine a worm right now? What color and how big? Uh, man, I, I'm actually... You know, I, I feel these lakes have gotten a lot tougher. A lot more people have boats, fishing pressure. When I first started guiding, I was down in South Texas, and I, all I, you know, all you knew was a 10-inch worm and a magnum lizard and a mag, magnum fluke. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's kind of on my end. That slowed down. I'm there's sometimes I'll be Carolina rig a, you know, a six-inch trick worm or even a baby fluke, you know, or regular flukes, just just to try to get the bite. And then if you go through the numbers, you'll get the big fish. But, you know, uh, like like a grande bass rattlesnake, like a 3.5 or 4.5 is a real good Carolina rig bait. You know, it, it kind of, it pushes a lot of water and it floats real good. But hmm. I, I've definitely, I, I started downsizing. I mean, a lot. I throw a lot of trick worm. I mean, Excite makes a good trick worm, grande bass and, and zoom, you know, just something something that not everyone's throwing yeah just something to get around the fish and they'll eat it and be surprised how many big fish you'll catch doing that Uh i mean and and i'm guiding too so you know my job is to have them catch fish and another deal and you know a big fish is always nice and you know it happens a lot 
you know, laid back on that Carolina rig or even a Texas rig with a, you know, a heavier weight getting it down deep with a, a six inch straight worm is, is hard to beat. Well, you know, you mentioned big fish. Uh, you, you are uh, someone who knows a thing or two about that. Having caught a uh, Toyota Sherlunker, not a lot of guides can say that, but I mean, Hey, if you, if the stats on your, your tournament resume weren't good enough, you'd be like, Oh, by the way, I've got a, I've got, this is my name right here, Charles White, and we've got a 13 yeah. pound. What did you catch your Sherlunker on? I actually caught it on a, uh, a six inch, uh, Gary Yamamoto Cinco, but she was on a bed uh-huh. and my, my, my client caught his 13, a lake record on a, uh, river to sea swim bait, a small, like a 3.5. Hmm. And, uh, just big fish. I, I've caught several at a uh, choke that were 13 that were, that weren't in the share locker program. Most of those came off a big worm or a, uh, you know, a, a bomber fat free crankbait or a DD 22, you know? Uh-huh. So right on. back then though, you know, you, it's, it's kind of night and day when you talk about how the lakes used to be, we, we got so spoiled for so long and then the drought hit. And it's it's pretty sad, you know. And everybody that fishes, they know. I mean, he used to go down. I mean, when I was in high school, I would catch 25 pounds down at Falcon and didn't think nothing about it. And it, that just kept building up, and then it got to 35. Then you go down and catch 40-pound bag, and you're like, this is <laughs> this is like, this is heaven. I, I mean, you know, I, I busted 52 pounds one day on a guide trip on, on Best Five Fish, and you can't go down there right now and catch 16 pounds. I mean, that's how bad it is. Uh-huh. It, it's sad, but it'll be back in a couple of years. They, they stocked all the lakes and everything's going to fire back up and it's just going to take a couple of years to rebuild and, and reboot all these lakes. Well, and it's all cyclical. You know, we saw the boom of Falcon and, and, uh, Amstead and even OHIV there for a couple of years. And, and then it kind of shifted to your neck of the woods where Lake Austin was, you know, oh, producing yeah. all the share lunker. Not all, but, you know, more it's than its fair share, yeah. Um, but then but then there's always old constant, Lake Fork. I mean, you just can't beat it. Uh, yeah, but, I wish I lived closer. <laughs> <laughs> right on. But, you know, we, we got we got Town Lake, and there's, there's there's it's still full of grass and millfoil, and, man, next year it's going to spit out some good ones. Right on, brother. And it's just one of those deals. You, all of them go through cycles, and right now, we we were fortunate enough to get a lot of rain, and hopefully the cycles kick back our way again. Well, Charles, thanks for your insight today, man. Always great talking fishing with you. I know you're going to be out in the Dove Patch uh, this weekend, so shoot straight, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, yeah, lots of birds. I'm <laughs> ready. Have a good one. All right, thank you, sir. All right, there he goes, our good friend, Charles Whited of Barefoot Fishing Tours. And uh, y'all can check out his website by just going to barefootfishingtours.com, by the way, if you want to book a trip. Uh, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by Rudy's Barbecue and STI Guns. They're Texas-made and Texas-owned. Based out of Georgetown, they've got a full lineup of 1911 and 2011-style pistols in all manner of calibers. Check them out at sti-guns.com. And do what I did for your next handgun purchase. Go Texan. Go STI. Well, just looking at the clock here. Unfortunately, we've got to go. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to all of our guests today. Charlie Seeley of the Exotic Wildlife Association. Also, Tom Rosenbauer from Orvis. Uh, it was great talking fly fishing with him. 
Uh, of course, Kirby Brown from Ducks Unlimited and obviously Charles Whited as well. We'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. <laughs>